So I have a confession to make. There are weeks when I work really hard through the week to see if I can figure out how to preach anything other than what we've already chosen. And this was one of those weeks. This is a tough passage to preach. There's a whole lot in here to unpack. And yes, it fits with the theme, but it's like, good grief, how do we fit all that? What do we do with all of this? So I wrestled with it and I thought it'd be really easier. I'll just pick out one piece of this to talk about. But all the pieces come together. They all represent Jesus saying, you've heard this, but I say. You've heard of this, you've been told this, somebody else has said this, but I say this. So they follow a theme and we look for what is the theme? What is the the golden thread that unites them all together and pulls it in this direction? And what does it have to do with glimpses of the way life could be? And I think that what we have for us is Jesus calling us to move beyond the letter of the law and move into the spirit of the law. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer under the law of rules. We live under the law of grace and mercy. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us, giving us, we don't have to worry about every little rule and getting every rule right, but it doesn't mean that we don't have to worry about how we live or anything we ever do. I grew up in a different denomination that handled this a little bit differently. And if they could get you to make a profession of faith and say a sinner's prayer, you were good forever. It was irrevocable, non-changeable. You were good. Whatever you did, whatever you said, if you never paid any attention to God again, you had said the sinner's prayer, you were good. That's not where we as Methodists fall. God doesn't trick you or trap you in this relationship. You always retain the ability to be in relationship with God and on a journey with Jesus or not. You retain your agency in this. And I think what Jesus is saying is, look, the law was given, first of all, to show you about morals and values and how you ought to live. And second of all, to show you that you can't do it on your own. That we need God to help us. And then Jesus comes along and says... But you have to let the Holy Spirit help you. You can't just say, technically I followed the rule and that's all that matters because there's more to it than just the rule. Did you know that there is a book that's called What is the Least... Let me get the name right. What is the Least I Can Believe and Still Be a Christian? It's by a man named Martin Thielen and it's actually not a bad book. What he's doing is talking about where are the parameters of Christian faith, what we would call orthodox faith. Um, What do you really need to believe? What is essential? We've talked a lot about essentials of the faith. What are the essentials if you're going to call yourself a Christian? And then what are the non-essentials that we can disagree on and don't have to all be in the same part? But the title is really entertaining to me. What's the least I have to believe to be a Christian? And unfortunately, it feels like some of us approach our faith in that way. What's the least I have to do? How few times can I come to church and still be an active member of this congregation? What is the least I can give and still be considered a giver or a contributor? 
What is the least like Christ I have to look in my life outside of Sunday morning church attendance to still be able to wear the label Christian on my life? And I would say that our goal shouldn't be to see how little we can do, but to see how much we can do. That, after all, is the invitation. Christ says, come and follow me. It's about following Jesus, about continuing down that road with him, about becoming as much like Jesus as we possibly can. That's actually what the word Christian means. It was first used to describe us in a city called Antioch, and it was meant to be a slur. They called the original followers of Jesus little Christ because they want to be just like Jesus. Yes, yes, we want to be just like Jesus but it feels like maybe we've forgotten that. I think that's what Jesus experienced when he came. That all those years, all those thousands of years of God having this special journey with his chosen people, and it was supposed to be about them being different, them being an example to the world. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests who showed the world what the world was supposed to be like. And it had become an exclusive club that you had to be in to be a part of. And it had become for so many of them about what's the least they have to do to still be a good Christian. And then can I take a sacrifice and make up for all of the rest of that? And Jesus comes along and says, it's not about the least we have to do. It's about getting our heart right It's about lining up with God. And that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit live within us. is to allow God to live through us. Now it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and allow the Holy Spirit to put a finger on anything in our life that doesn't match Jesus. I don't like it. And sometimes I argue about it. But if I'm going to be an ambassador of Christ, and we all are, by virtue of our profession of faith and our baptism, that is what we are called to do. Jesus didn't just tell the original 12 to go make disciples and teach them everything. That word comes to every believer everywhere down through the ages to make disciples. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, 2 Corinthians 5.12 tells us. You represent Christ everywhere you go whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not, whether you think about it or not. And if we're very honest, we would say that Christians don't get a lot of good publicity these days because sometimes we don't look so very much like Christ. That was one of the things that Gandhi said to Christians was, I like your Jesus, but not very many of you look much like him. And so Jesus asks us to realign ourselves, to line back up, to become aware once again of where we don't look like the standard that God has given us. I told you we wanted to give you concrete ways to apply these and what they look like. So I want to talk about the ways that they look like it in Scripture and then what might that look like for us. The first one is about murder. The rule, the law, in the Ten Commandments, is do not murder. And that had lots of discussions with rabbis about what is murder? What does that mean? Is murder separate from killing? 
Can you defend yourself? Are there some times that you've, you've taken a life justly, like in self-defense? Like, what is that? And they were looking for, what's the letter of the law? And Jesus says, it's not even about when the last breath leaves the body. It's about every breath that's taken in anger that comes way before the violence. It's about how we control our tempers and our temperament. It's about how we let the Holy Spirit manage us. And it's about how we choose to manage our feelings and how we act on them. And he says it matters. Settle it. Reconcile it. Work it out. Forgive. Let it go far before it rises to the level of violence that could lead to murder. Because when it says, when you call someone, you idiot and you fool, it's not about just those words. It's about the attitude of your heart. It's about the judgment you've made about the other person that is behind those words that he's talking about. Don't be angry with your brother or sister. Don't hate other people. Try to work it out. And we hear that as it comes down to on your way to court. See if you can settle it. See if you can repair the relationship. See if you can find reconciliation far before you have to go into court. See if you can be a peacemaker. Seek reconciliation rather than retaliation. And that is oh so very hard to do. But it is the call that God gives to us. The second one is about adultery. Don't commit adultery. But Jesus says to us that if you even look on another person lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, he says this very clearly for a man about a woman. Let's remember that in that day and time, women didn't have a lot of agency. They didn't have a lot of control over themselves and who they were and what they experienced. I would say that in our day and time, it works both ways. Because if a man commits adultery with a woman who is married to another man, that's true adultery, he is damaging the relationship between the married man and woman. Technically, in that day and time, he's damaging the man's property. And that hurts me to spit that out. But the woman became part of his household and his property. If she's not married, he's done that to the father. And he's very likely ruined her life. So let's think about this. If you look on someone else and you're going to pursue them anyway when they are not part of your main relationship, you run ruining their life and ruining others' lives, spouses and children's. And that is not a loving thing to do. That is not something we do to someone that we respect and care about. It's not what we do to someone when we look at them and we say, you are made in the image of God and deserve to be respected and treated well. It's the opposite of that. And so he says, the minute you allow yourself to put them in that context, you have already degraded and devalued them and made them less than who God created them to be. Don't do that. And that carries right on to divorce, which was the next one. Moses allowed them to divorce one another and give them a divorce certificate. And Jesus says, don't do that. Remember, women didn't have a lot of agency, as I talked about. They can't go out and just get another job. They're going to have to find another household to become a part of in order to not be begging for money or forced into prostitution or just starved to death. 
Jesus says that is not the kind thing we do to somebody. You don't just wad up a relationship. Because when you do, she committed to you. She committed her life to you. You will break her heart and the love she has for you will cause her to have to commit adultery to try to feel that for somebody else. This is not, in my opinion, about Jesus saying you can't ever divorce. The reality is that relationships are tough and we can't always make them work. We need to learn from them if we have to move on, but we ought to do everything, everything in our power to make it work before we do. We ought to seek that reconciliation. We ought to seek to be people who are kind and respectful and loving and just. And to say, just because I can divorce you and write you a certificate doesn't make it the right thing to do. And then he talks about pledges, about taking a vow. Because you know how somebody tells you something and it's really, really hard to believe and they go, no, no, I promise, I swear, I'm not just kidding you. Like, I promise that happened. Jesus is actually saying, be the kind of person that someone doesn't ever expect you to have to do that. If you tell them something, they believe you because you are a person of your word. You are a person who is trustworthy. You are a person who has integrity. If you say it, it can be trusted because he said, all the things that you can swear by, you have absolutely no control over. You have no control over heaven or earth or the great city of Jerusalem, or even your own hair on your head. You can't stop it from turning gray or falling out. Be a person of your word, a person that can be trusted. Because it goes beyond just not bearing false witness, but to the spirit, the motivation, the person you are behind it. It's not just about rules. It's about our heart. In Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and in Hebrews and in Psalms, God says, I will break their hearts of stone and give them hearts of love alone. Hearts for me. That's what he wants. He wants our heart to not be so focused on the least we have to do so that we can continue to be as sinful, as mean, as hard, as cold, as disobedient, as disrespectful as we possibly can and still make it into heaven by the sliding in by the tips of our fingers. He wants us to want to be his child, accurately reflecting his love and his grace and exhibiting that in every area of our life, constantly growing to be a better person than we were before. We can fall victim to the same thinking that the Jewish people had, that we are in. They are sons and daughters of Abraham. We are in. All we got to do is figure out what's the least we have to do to remain obedient and have God not get mad at us and let us go into exile. We can do that. What's the least I have to do? But my friends, you've heard it said, more than likely, in a meme on social media, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. You can come into this building every Sunday. You can give huge amounts of your money. You can place your name on a membership roll. But if you are not becoming little Christ, if you are not on a journey of becoming just like 
Jesus. That is what a Christian means. Jesus asked not for our obedience to a small set of a list of rules. He asked for our entire heart and our entire life to live honoring, glorifying, obeying, and becoming more like Him. Where are all the places that we are looking for the least that we need to be looking for the most? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to find the ways that we are trying to phone it in, do the least, slide in by the skin of our teeth, and remind us that you ask for all of us, our entire heart, all of our emotions, all of our mind. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all of our strength. Renew your Holy Spirit within us to embolden, to empower us, to draw us to doing just that. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just through lunch after, but through every moment of every day. Make us more like you. Make us accurate and good ambassadors of your kingdom that the world may know we belong to you and that they may experience your love, your grace, your mercy, and your justice as well. This we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.